Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Amen. If you would please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, there should be a red one in the seat in front of you. And it is page 952 on that red Bible. We are now in our third week in this letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, The first week we looked at the first nine verses in which Paul gives his greeting to the Corinthians. And he shows us a secret, a secret of how to love unlovely Christians and how to love unlovely churches. And he shows us that the secret to loving unlovely Christians and unlovely churches is to have a divine perspective on their identity. That in Christ they are saints, they are sanctified. And that God will not give up on them, that God will sustain them, that God will persevere until Christ returns in their lives and he is working in their lives and growing them. And so he showed us how can we love unlovely Christians. Last week the greetings are over and as we looked at verses 10 through 17, Paul starts to address one of the major issues in the Corinthians church, which is division in the church. And he's sharing with them how you can be united together. And that unity does not mean uniformity in all areas. But unity comes when we are united in the main message. When we keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the story of the cross, the message of the cross, the word of the cross. He continues today to emphasize the word of the cross and the passage that we're looking at, not only for our unity, but also for our joy and for our mission. And so let's look together. First Corinthians chapter one, we'll be reading and looking and studying verses 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. So first Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks Seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, but the one who boasts, boasts, and the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray this day that you would fill us not with worldly wisdom, but with your wisdom. Lord, since you are the creator of all things, since you sustain all things, we believe that you are far wiser than any finite, limited, sinful human being. And so God, pray by your spirit, fill us with your wisdom, transform us with your power, that we with Paul may boast not in ourselves, but in you, the God of glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, New Year is a great opportunity to evaluate your life. Uh, to think about how you are spending your time, your energy, your finances, to see if what you've done in the previous year, in 2019, really lines up with what you think is valuable, and, and more importantly, what, with what God thinks is valuable. And as you evaluate, it's a great opportunity to really say, you know what, I need to pledge to live differently, to do things differently, to invest my time differently according to what God says is valuable and to what I believe is valuable. You know, this was the case for me this year. Um, as we hit the new year, I was thinking about, Lord, how was I spending my time this past year? Is it consistent with what you value, what you think is precious, what you think is good? And so January 1st, uh, I'm with my kids, my family, my wife, we're driving to go sledding. And I asked my kids, I said, kids, what do you want for 2020? And their response is what you would expect a child to respond. And then they asked me, dad, what do you want for 2020? And after really sitting on this and thinking about it and praying about it for a while, I said, you know what? I pray that for 2020, that we as a family will share Jesus with more people than we did in 2019. Because as I took stock of my life, as I look back over 2019, what I realized is anyone from the outside looking in would say, you know what, I think Dan values sports more than he values the souls of those that need Jesus. That Dan values balance in his life more than broken people hearing the healing words of the gospel. That Dan values really his own pleasure more than he does for those to have the pleasure of knowing God as their own God. And so it's embarrassing to admit it, but that day was a very convicting day for me. And after repentance and confessing my distractedness and my busyness to God, it was an opportunity to turn and 
really make a new assertion in my life, to really to, to, to make a new pledge, a new, a new pattern, to live 2020 for a joy-saturated, risk-taking, God-glorifying, kingdom-expanding mission of sharing the good news of the gospel with those around me. You know, this passage that we are in today could not be better timed. Uh, my, my, my professor in seminary would often say that God's word is timeless, but it's also timely. It's amazing how God seems to do that, isn't it? And so just in case the Holy Spirit is stirring something similarly uncomfortable and glorious in you, I want to ask this question, these questions. What must we do? What must we believe? And where must we boast in order to get the good news of the gospel out in 2020? To scatter it far and wide. How do we get the gospel out this year in greater measure than we did last year? Well, first, how, what, what must we do in order to get the good news of the gospel out in 2020? And what we must do is we must preach a wise foolishness. Now, if you notice, this term wise foolishness seems like a contradictory of terms, but Paul uses these terms in this passage to show that the wisdom of God is contradictory to the wisdom of the world, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And so in this passage, Paul's comparing and contrasting these two types of, quote, wisdom, which is the wisdom of God and the wisdom of world, which often oppose one another. And so as we read through this passage, I want to highlight to you where Paul is talking about the wisdom of the world and where he's talking about the wisdom of God for our clarity. So let's look at verse 20, first, excuse me, verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross... What he means by that is the message of the cross, the good news of the gospel of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. That's those of the world. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the worldly wise of the worldly, the worldly wisdom of the worldly wise, and the worldly discernment of the worldly discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is worldly wise? Where is the scribe? Scribes were worldly wise people. Where is the debater of this age? They were worldly wise people. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God, you see that's a different wisdom, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through worldly wisdom. It pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preached to save those who believe. Paul is asserting here that God rejects wisdom as a means of salvation. And not only that, Paul is asserting that the wisdom of men could never grasp the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God for our salvation. It isn't that man has no idea about God. Romans 1 tells us that God is evident from the creation that is around us. His, his invisible attributes, his power, his beauty is, 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 is available to us just by looking at the glory of creation. But man, with all of his philosophical and religious wisdom, could never have thought up the good news of the cross. 
He could never have thought up that, that, that the way that we would be saved is that the creator of the universe, that God above, would become a man. And that he would take on all of our sin, that he would go to the cross, that he would pay for it in full. He would rise again from the dead, giving us newness of life so that we might be saved, not through what we do, but by what he has done for us. That we would be saved by grace through faith in Christ. This is not only against the way that men think, this is the way the world operates as a whole. By and large, you have to earn people's love. By and large, you have to earn what you have in life. But the gospel is the opposite of the way that this world works. It's the opposite of the way that we think. It is the opposite of worldly wisdom. Paul continues, verse 22, he says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, worldly wisdom. But we preach. Notice he does not say, I preach, or your pastor preaches. He says, we, talking to the Christians in Corinth. He says, we preach, we herald, we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. Why, why is the gospel a stumbling block to Jews? Why is the cross a stumbling block to Jews? Well, there's a couple reasons. First off, they were expecting, anticipating a political Messiah that would overthrow the Roman government, not one that would be crucified by the Roman government. But the other reason stumbling block is because like the rest of humanity, they were trying to earn their salvation before God. Many of the Jews were. Many of the Jews were trying to fulfill all these religious rituals to make God accept them and receive them. And so the thought that Christ died for our sins and we received, we are received by grace through faith and not by what we do is a stumbling block to them as it is to every other religion on the face of the earth. He says, but we preach, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You know, if you could imagine, Gentiles are, are non-Jews. That's basically what it means. It's everyone who's not a Jew. And, and in the Roman Empire, the cross was a means of executing horrible people. It would have been so far from their imagination that the cross could have been used as a means of salvation for horrible people. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness, foolishness of God, that is the most obscure thought of God, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, his smallest acts, is stronger than men. Skip down to verse 30. Thinking about wisdom and foolishness. It says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. I don't know if you notice this, but in verse 24 and verse 30, the wisdom of God is personified. It's not a thing or, it, or a thought. Wisdom is a person. Uh, verse 24 says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 30, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. It doesn't say that Jesus was wise, although Jesus was wise, but it's saying that Jesus was Wisdom. How could that be? What, how could a person be wisdom? How could Jesus be wisdom? Well, I think it means that Jesus is the wisdom of God for the plan of salvation in human form. 
in the flesh. And this is foolishness to those who are perishing. Danica Patrick, uh, who was a race car driver at one time, um, has a new podcast that someone was telling me about. And I I guess she's a Green Bay resident. I'm not really sure. She dates Aaron Rodgers, so she's probably up here quite a bit. But she has a podcast called Pretty Intense, play on words. And uh, last month, she interviewed her boyfriend, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and she was getting what he believed about religion and Christianity and things like that. And he shares that as he was exposed to other people and other religions through new friendships, he disagreed with the binariness of Christianity, that there is saved and unsaved, that there is heaven and hell, that there is the enlightened and the heathen, that there is holy and righteous and there is sinner and filthy. And then he goes on to say, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? This, There's a little bit of mystiology in here, but that's generally what he said. And this echoes really um, what he said in the article back in 2017 in which uh, after the Super Bowl, he kind of had this spiritual crisis on the bus ride home. And after processing it, he said, it says this, it wasn't until he confronted his own narrow-minded views about the world and his place in it, he says, that he experienced a sense of fulfillment he yearned for. He says, I think organized religion can have a mind-debilitating effect because there is an exclusivity that can shut you out from being open to the world, to people, and energy, that's a big word today, energy and love and acceptance. You know, as Aaron was exposed to worldly wisdom, the cross became foolish. As God's punishment for sin, as he's exposed to these punishment for sin became unreasonable and inconsistent with God's character, the narrowness of Christianity summarized by Jesus who says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. This was narrowness and foolishness. Now to be clear, I'm not harping on Aaron Rodgers. I actually like the guy. I think he's pretty smart in some ways and I hope he does well, especially this afternoon. Um, We should love him and pray for him. So I'm not harping on him because I think what happened is he was actually courageous enough to say what he believes, which is really emblematic of what most Americans believe, that people are basically good, that religions, all religions are basically okay. They're basically the same thing, that God is whoever we want to make him out to be according to whatever makes us feel good. Therefore, the majority of America, for the majority of America, the gospel, the word of the cross is foolishness. It is folly. It is absurd to think that we are so sinful that God had to send his son to die for us. Verse 18, the word of the cross, the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God for our salvation. You know, it has been said that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. In the same way, the same message of the cross, the word of the cross, the gospel of the cross, which is the wisdom of God, hardens the perishing, but melts the hearts of those who are being saved. 
And so with this in mind, we really just have this one question as we think about getting the gospel out in 2020. Are you willing to be a fool for Jesus? I mean it. Are you willing for the world to see you as a fool for Jesus? Are you willing for people to think that you're, you're dumb, that you're narrow-minded, that you are overly religious? I mean, this is, this is one of the primary reasons that keep us from sharing the good news of Jesus, is it? We don't want people to think we are foolish. But what Paul is telling us here is that if you share this, people will think you are foolish. And so are you willing to be a fool for Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel of Christ, the wisdom of God, his plan of salvation. So what must we do to get the gospel out in 2020? We must be fools for Jesus, sharing the wisdom of God, the good news of God, that is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's what we must do. But secondly, what must we believe to get the gospel out? What is it about the gospel, the word of the cross, that we must believe that will give us confidence to, with audacity and boldness to, to risk, to take risks to getting the gospel out to our neighbors and coworkers and family members? Well, we must trust a powerful weakness. Again, you see two words that seem very contradictory, like wisdom and foolishness, power and weakness seem very contradictory. And again, Paul is using this to help illustrate something that is very important. Verse 17, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Literally, that it would be nullified or made of non-effect. Verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross, that is the message of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power, the power of God. Skip down to verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger. It is more powerful than men. Paul emphasizes that the power for salvation is not in the messenger of the cross, but in the message of the cross, and in the man who hung upon the cross. And Paul is emphasizing this because the Corinthians, and to be honest, you and me need to be reminded of something. That we can't save anybody. <laughs> that we can't change anybody's heart. That we can't make any dead people alive. That we can't make any foolish people wise. Which means our job is not to convert people because that is above our pay grade. Our job is simply to get the gospel out and let the gospel do the work. Let me illustrate it this way. The word for power in Greek is dunamis, from which we get the term dynamite, right? And while I've never, uh, you know, played around with dynamite, I have played around with firecrackers, which are basically the same thing, right? I mean, more or less, somewhat. There's a, you know, there's a 
there's a fuse and it goes kaboom and it's just smaller versions. So I'll, I'll just assume that they're kind of the same, right? But, but if you've ever lit in a firecracker, you know that, that all you do is light the fuse, that you can't make the thing blow up. You, you light the fuse and then the fuse, you know, disappears and the flame goes into it and it goes kaboom, right? That there's power and then that explodes sometimes, right? Sometimes you light it and it goes in and it disappears and nothing. It's a dud, right? There's no power, there's no explosion. And then there are other times where you will light the fuse and it will go in and you think, oh, it's a dud. And you start to walk away and what happens? Kapow, right? And it goes off and there's an explosion and there's power. In the same way, when we, when we share the gospel with people, all we're doing is lighting the fuse. We're just lighting the fuse. When we share the message of the cross, we have no power. We're just lighting the fuse. Psst. It may explode right away. The power of the gospel might explode in their heart and in their lives. It may do nothing. Or you may walk away. Kaboom! <laughs> My friend Nick, uh, I was roommates with him in college. I don't even remember sharing the, 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 the message of the cross with him. I probably did. I don't remember. But, but after I was married several years later, I was in Wisconsin uh, on the other side of the state. And he said, hey, I'm thinking about reading the Bible. Where should I start? I said, Gospel of John. Next day. Okay, what should I read next? Um, all the Gospels. Next day. All right, what should I read next? Why don't you read the New Testament a week later? All right, what should I read next? Psst, silence. I walk away. Kaboom! The power of the gospel exploded in his life. And to be honest with you, he was one of the financial supporters that helped start Jacob's Well Church. All we can do is light the fuse by proclaiming the gospel. There is no power in us, but there is power in the message of the cross. You know, I know for many of us, myself included, it is, it's scary. I say it's like it's like junior high asking a girl on a date. Like my palms get sweaty, I get scared, I get nervous. And when you share the good news of Jesus across to someone else, it's kind of scary. But you know what? We're in really good company. Really, the, the, the greatest evangelist in the church was scared too. Uh, look at, just look in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Listen to how Paul describes his experience in Corinth. He says, and I was with you in weakness <laughs> and in fear and much trembling. Paul didn't come in power. He came in, in weakness. He says, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. He didn't have persuasive words to talk about. He says, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is reminding us that the power of for dead people to come alive, the power for people to grasp the good news of the gospel, the power for the explosion of the gospel in people's lives does not rest in the messenger. It rests in the message itself through the power of the Holy Spirit to make dead people come alive for an explosion of the power of the gospel. And so what must we do to get the gospel out in 2020? We must decide that we are willing to be fools for Jesus, to share the wisdom of God, which is foolish to men, that we must, what must we believe to get the gospel out? We must believe that the power is not in us, but it is in the message itself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, 
if we want to get the gospel out in 2020, in what must we boast? Let me start with this question. Why do we boast? I'm not talking about, you know, I, I don't want you guys ever to share like when something happy happens in your life. When you come home and you want to celebrate with family, I hit a home run or I got straight A's, that's wonderful. But I think we know the difference, don't we? When, when you're around someone who's new and you just kind of slip in some of your achievements, it just, you know, just so happens, right, that I was solidatorian. But that's not a big deal, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, I, 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 we won this sports league or, you know, I, I'm, I'm here in my business. or whatever. We just have this way of, of very subtly slipping in our achievements and boasting. And the reason why we do this is because we want to prove to the other person that we're valuable, right? <laughs> that, that we are worth knowing, that we are worth loving, uh, that we're worthy of their respect. I mean, we do it, to be honest with you, because we're insecure people. And so we share that to, to try to prove them that we are, we're worth knowing that we are somebody, But look at what God says. And, and, and I love it because this is, uh, if you go to the self-help book section in the bookstore, I think there's one left in Green Bay or on Amazon, um, what they will do is they will tell you how great you are, right? To unleash your power um, inside of you, right? But look, look what God's word says. Again, the, God's wisdom is different than man's wisdom. Verse 26 he says, for consider your calling, brothers. This is, this is what theologians call effectual calling. When God calls you onto himself, when he calls you onto salvation. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I mean, you almost think Paul's about to say, and to be honest, you weren't really all that attractive either. You know, it's like he's just... Boom, 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 boom. But God. By the way, whenever you read but God in the Bible, good news is about to come. But God chose what is foolish in the world, people like you and me, to shame the worldly wise. God chose what is weak in the world, people like you and me, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, people like you and me, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. This is far different than the self-help sections you will find in the bookstore. The self-help sections, again, want to just tell you how wonderful you are, but what the Bible tells us is that while we are valuable and precious and priceless to God because we are made in his image, the greatness belongs to God. To God belongs the glory. And as we focus on his glory, our joy overflows. This is different than the wisdom of the world. Paul says, listen, Corinthians, listen, Church of Jacob's well. Why did God call you to himself? It wasn't because you were super smart. It's not because you were more humble than other people. It wasn't because you were more spiritual. It wasn't because you, God really needed a good person to fill this slot, to take his kingdom off. I mean, look at the stories of the scriptures. Who does God choose to use to expand his kingdom? Think about it. Think about the apostles. Who did God choose? Did, God, did, did Jesus go to the synagogue and take the high priest? And did he take royalty? Did he take people from the, you know, the Roman, the, the, the Caesar and convert them? And No. Who did he take? Who did he call? He called 
fishermen, blue-collared fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. He called a hated and despised tax collector named Matthew. He called a politician called Simon. Who did God choose to witness the incarnation? Not royalty, shepherds in the field. Those who were basically pirates that people didn't trust. Who did God choose to be the first witness of the resurrection? A a bunch of women whose testimony wasn't even admissible in court. I mean, look in the Old Testament. Who did God use to carry out his plan of salvation for his people? He chose Moses, a stuttering coward, outcast who wanted God to send somebody else. A prostitute named Rahab. Sweet, God, what are you thinking? God chose David, the youngest son of Jesse, who I love. He wasn't even invited to the party when the prophet Samuel was coming to designate the next king of Israel. He wasn't even invited to be considered among them, and yet he was the one who God had chosen. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, I think about as a kid when we were choosing teams for kickball, who did we choose? We would choose the biggest, the most athletic, right? That's not who God chose. God chose the weakest. He chose those that no one else would choose to carry out his story of redemption. And you think, God, why did you do this? Why did you pick these people? Don't you want to win the game? Verse 27 tells us why God does this. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world, people like us, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are for this purpose, so that no human being might, so so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself, you know, God is really lucky to have me on his team. (laughs) But what we learn in this passage is God didn't choose us because we're great. He chose us because he's great. And because he wants to display his greatness through us. You know, I think of Judges chapter 7. When the Midianites, an army of 135,000 people, I mean, imagine that. 135,000 people were looming over the Israelites. Gideon had 32,000 to go up against him. And if you're trying to do the math, there was one Israelite for every four Midianites. They were easily outmatched. And this is what God says to Gideon. He said, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. Really, God? Four to one ratio? Too many? We won, they four? He says, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand lest Israel boast over me, in other words, like saying that they're greater than me, my own hand saved me. And so God says to Gideon, hey, anyone who's scared, let them go. And so 22 of the 32,000 left, leaving them with 12,000 men left. And God says, you know what, that 13 to one ratio, that's still not enough. Take them down to the water. Whoever laps the water like a dog, keep them, send the rest home. And so there Gideon is, he's left with 300 men to fight. It is a ratio of 450 Midianites to one Israelite. And then God says, hey, I want you now to go up against the Midianites. Not with sword, but with trumpets and pots and banging them together. 
And so they do this, and they win the battle. And why does God reduce the number? Why does he make it so small, so insignificant, so that everyone will know that the victory belongs to the Lord? That the Lord is the hero of that story. That it did not happen by the might of men, but by the might of God. Do you see where this is going? God calls the foolish, the powerless, the lowly. God calls people like you and me to be recipients of his transforming grace so that when we are changed and when the world is changed through us, we do not say, look what I did. But so that we might know that all the glory belongs to God. And that is our greatest joy. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast, that is, glory, that no human being may glory in the presence of God. And because of him, because of God, not because of you, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. And so Christian, why are you wise? Why are you righteous? Why are you sanctified? Why are you redeemed? It is because of Christ in Christ alone. I love that old hymn, Rock of Ages, that says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You know, all of us, Every human being must boast in something to find our significance, to find our worth, to find our value, to know that we are loved. And the worldly wives say, boast in yourself. But God says, boast in the Lord. They say, boast in yourself, and the world is miserable. But those who boast in the Lord are overflowing with the joy of the glory of God. Let me end with this. When I was growing up, I used to watch uh, WWF, which is now WWE. It's the World Wrestling Federation. I'm not sure what it is now. It's not World Wildlife Federation. Anyways, uh, I used to watch these wrestlers, and there is one guy on there. His name was uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. And you may remember him, and he was just this huge, muscular guy. I mean, super powerful, okay? And uh, when Jesse the Body Ventura retired from wrestling... Uh, He then became known as Jesse the Brain Ventura because evidently he was not only powerful, uh, he was also really smart, really wise, and he became the governor of Minnesota, um, which I'm not sure how smart that is. But anyways, he became the governor of Minnesota. And when he was the governor of Minnesota or when he was running for it, I don't know where it happened, he actually said this. He said, um, oh, let me find it here. Lost my place. He said this, he said, religion is a crutch for the weak. Religion is a crutch for the weak. And a lot of the Christians were really upset by this. And they said, hey, 
We're not weak. We're strong, right? We're not dumb. We're smart. That's why we believe in this thing. But the reality is, is that uh, Jesse, the brain or the body of insurer, however you want to look at him, um, did not think too little of Christians. He actually thought too much of Christians. <laughs> we're not only weak in and of ourselves, we're spiritually dead. Uh, we're, we're, we're dead. But it is God through his power that makes us alive. We can boast in our weakness. We can boast in our foolishness, because it is the power of God and the wisdom of God that works through us for the glory of God. You know, as, as, as I made this new pledge of New Year's to, to get the gospel out more, I shared this with the elders, and we created something called the 2020 Campaign, which we'll share with you next week at the annual meeting. We are so excited to, to, to refocus our energies and our time and our priorities to, to, to live for something bigger than ourselves. And we're so excited to invite you on this journey for us. And we're so excited to share it with you as we will next week. But with that in mind, think about this passage. What must we do to get the gospel out? We must be fools for Jesus, sharing the wonderful, foolish message of the cross. What must we believe to get the gospel out? That the power is not in us, but it is in the message of the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we, must we boast in? We must boast not in ourselves, but in the Lord who rescued us, who saved us, and who is using us for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message of the cross. It is a plan of redemption none of us could think of. And it's far better than anything we could conceive. Lord, help us to glory in you, to glory in the cross. Help us to be people that take risks. Help us to be people that step out of our comfort zone. Help us to be people that trust the power is not in us, but is in the message of the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be fools for Jesus, knowing that our identity is secure in Christ, and it matters not what the world around us believes about us. Give us your perspective, Lord. Give us your wisdom. Give us your power for your glory. Lord, as we turn to the table, we are reminded that we come hungry and needy and that you fill us by your grace, Lord. Help us to be nourished and to be strengthened by this communion with you, Lord. Touch us in this moment, Lord. Change us transform us and send us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.